0: Well, if you were here on Mother's Day and you were paying attention, a tall order I recognize for some of you, uh, you might remember that I really made the case kind of at the beginning of the message that that mothers just don't get the credit that they deserve, that they're largely under uh, appreciated and you know, really kind of implored all of you that for at least that one day a year, at least on Mother's Day, really like go all out for your moms like shower them with gifts, serve them maybe like you've never served them before like make sure that your moms feel appreciated again because they just don't get the credit. That they deserve. Now, obviously, today is is an ever so slightly different day. Today is indeed Father's Day, and, and, and let's be honest. And by the way, I'm a dad, so I'm definitely throwing myself into this category. Uh, us dads, we actually get about exactly the credit that we deserve. In fact, I am convinced that sometimes we maybe get a little bit too much credit. So all you moms, underappreciated. Dads, adequately appreciated. In fact, I was thinking about after uh, my wife and I had uh, each of our children, we have a three-year-old daughter named Logan and a two-year-old son named, named Malachi. Uh, and after we, you have a kid, you know, people are just so kind and they're so encouraging and have such nice things to say to you. And there, there were so many people that came up to me and said, congratulations and, and way to go. And, and there were even a handful of people that literally came up to me and they were like very sincere. They're like, you know, I'm just so proud of you, Shay. And I gotta be honest, that was kind of a perplexing thing for me to hear because when you think about all that is the miracle of the human life and you think about what I contributed, about as minimal as possible, right? It was like, and let's be honest, it wasn't like my hand had to be forced in that regard. Like I was pretty, all right, I'll stop talking. But to all you dads out there, I suppose we kinda, sorta, maybe deserve a day to celebrate us. I think we should just kinda be thankful that our wives continue to go along with this ruse known as Father's Day, so with all that in mind, that's a little bit lackluster. Happy Father's Day. Anyway, we are in a series right now, uh, as you've probably already figured out, called All In. In fact, this morning we are entering into part three of five, so it's kind of like you're stepping into a movie halfway through it, and so if you haven't been here for the first two weeks of the series, and uh, chances are that probably describes a lot of people in this room because we are in summer mode and it gets a little bit challenging uh, to be here on a consistent basis, we'd really challenge you to go to grummelot.com slash messages and catch yourself up there. Uh, you can listen to the messages there, you can watch the messages there, there, or you can find us as always under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcasts. Uh, I, I want to pause right now because this can oftentimes, I say this just about every time I speak, you know, go online, catch yourself up. It, it can become white noise. Uh, but I think perhaps now in the summer, uh, this is more important than maybe any other time of the year. And, and listen, I, I'm not going to stand up here and be like anti-vacation and say that you shouldn't go on vacation. And you should never miss a Sunday. In fact, I, I think it's wise actually to take advantage of summer breaks where you can get family and friends together and really build memories. I'd, I'd say, yeah, get out there and, and enjoy the summer. Uh, but don't let it be a, a three-month hiatus from church. It's one of the things I'm really thankful for that that my parents modeled really well for us. In, In the summer, we traveled a lot for my dad's job and uh, it forced us to miss a lot of Sundays at church, but they always made sure that they set aside some designated time as a family where we would come together. Maybe we read some scripture. We'd come together and do a devotional. We'd, we'd listen to a sermon. Make sure that you are, are taking that time as a family to, to really take that time to listen to and to hear from God as opposed to coming to September and be like, oh dang, like we haven't been to church in a long time. So there's kind of my sales pitch on that. Now one of the things, and this is kind of the premise for this series, that we've noticed since we've started this church uh, is that there's a group of people Uh, And granted, it's a relatively small group of people uh, that really, really enjoy showing up here on Sunday mornings. Now, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of people that show up here consistently that like this place, but again, this people that I am describing, I mean, they like really like this place. It is almost strange how much they enjoy showing up here on a week-to-week basis, and in fact, there's kind of this collective attitude amongst this group of people that it's an honor, that it's a privilege that they even get to be a part of this. And as we discussed in the first week, uh, if you were here, you might recall this, there's really more different Differences than similarities among this group of people. But there always happens to be this one common denominator, and that's this, that Jesus has transformed their lives, like, like really transformed their lives. Jesus has flipped their lives upside down in a very, very positive way, and what they're able to do is they can look into the not-so-distant past and see what life was like without Jesus, and they can compare that with present day, what life is like having an actual relationship with Jesus, and frankly, they see how much better it is And because of how Jesus has transformed their lives, there becomes just kind of this natural outpouring of gratitude that just spills from them. They don't have to be forced. They don't have to be coerced. We don't have to talk them into things. It's something that they, they don't have to do. It's something that they get to do. And, and what we discovered is that there are certain values that these all-in people, and hence the name of the series, seem to naturally kind of just embrace in their lives. And we have said that as a church, and when I say church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about a community, an assembly of people. We as a church want to be really, really intentional about chasing after these things. And so the five values that we're kind of rolling out throughout the series and breaking down are assume the best. Celebrate Creativity. Again, if you weren't here last week, go and listen to Celebrate Creativity. Jason did a brilliant job breaking that down. Make it better. Always be teachable. And then we'll wrap it up by talking about Give It Up. And and here's what's so great about this. No matter where you find yourself this morning on this whole faith journey, you would be wise to embrace these values in your life. These are values that we all universally, regardless of spiritual maturity, Regardless of race, regardless of upbringing, regardless of background, regardless of any other factor, these are values that we all universally admire in other people. These are values that, in fact, are guaranteed to make your life better and the lives around you better. And today, as we move on to part three, we're gonna be talking about make it better. And it's fitting, and I would love to tell you that we intentionally planned it this way, but it's one of those little details that God seems to orchestrate, but it's fitting that today uh, is Father's Day, and we're talking about make it better. Because for a lot of people that are seated in this room, this is a value that, or, or maybe a, something that your dad likely assumed. Dads are usually the ones that are mowing the lawns. Dads are typically ones that are, that are painting the trim, that, that are building the tree fort, that are putting together the toys after a birthday party. E- even the dads that aren't necessarily that handy, and I, I certainly fall into that category, are oftentimes the improvers in the family. Uh, growing up, I've shared about this before, uh, my dad was a, a motivational speaker, and so in, in the summer months in particular, we, we'd travel with him basically everywhere, and we weren't home very much, and we, so we kind of travel from camp to retreat center to conference, and we'd you know, be all over the United States, but uh, one of the things that you kind of d- discovered was a staple among like all summer camps was the activity of canoeing. It seemed like every summer camp, no matter where you find it in the you know, wherever you find it in the country, uh, had canoeing as one of the activities, and I've always enjoyed being out on the water. It's still one of my favorite things to to do to this day. I just love getting out there. There's something strangely relaxing for me. I just enjoyed kind of taking in God's creation. It's soothing. It's almost therapeutic. And uh, there were many times, you know, growing up when we'd be with my dad at these different camps and I'd ask him, like, hey dad, will, will you take me canoeing? And and if he had some free time, he'd say, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll take you canoeing. And so we'd get out on the lake. We'd be out there for maybe 30 minutes, sometimes, you know, maybe well over an hour. And eventually, you know, we'd make our way back to the beach. And oftentimes what would happen is when we got back to the beach, there was a group of campers that had been there. And the beach was basically like a bomb went off on it. There were canoes over here and kayaks over there and paddles in the bushes and life jackets skewed all over the place. And as we started to approach the beach, and I realized that the beach was in such disarray and all these things were just left out, For somebody to clean up I'd put my head down and just think oh gosh dang it you stinking kids because I knew that there was no way that we were going to pull up to that beach and my dad was going to allow us to just put away our canoe and our oars and our life jackets I knew that we were going to spend a good 15-30 minutes cleaning up all the other canoes and all the other oars and cleaning up all the other life jackets because my dad insisted on making it better and this wasn't like this one-time occurrence for him You spilled something, you know, at a dinner table, even if you were out to eat, he gave you this look like you best believe you're getting down there and picking that up. And in fact, while you're down there, why don't you pick up some of that other garbage that the other people left behind? My dad's always uh, out in the yard and, you know, picking up sticks and mowing the lawn and make sure he has the best looking yard on the block and... Uh, You know, oftentimes my dad would would tell us that we had to come out there with him. And a common job for us kids was just picking up sticks. And and I knew exactly in our yard where the invisible line was between our yard and the neighbor's yard. And you best believe I toted that line and I just got sticks on our yard. And in fact, sometimes they were kind of like leaning over on our yard a little bit. I'm like, get that thing over here. You know, I kick it onto the other side. And my dad, again, without really even having to say anything, give me that look. And I knew what the look meant. It was like, crud, I got to go pick up the neighbor's sticks as well. He was always making it better. Anybody else, by a show of hands, have weirdo parents that would make them do these sorts of things? Okay, there's a couple of you here. And for those of you that are raising your hands, I bet whether it was a parent, whether it was a dad, whether it was a mom or somebody else that had influence in your life, I bet these people would even say from time to time, always leave things better than you found them. Sound familiar? Let's say that out loud together. Always leave things better than you found them. Some of you just saying that out loud It's bringing back memories. But here's what's a little bit ironic about this as much as it drove you nuts when you were young that you would have to pick up somebody else's trash, that you would have to do what you perceived to be somebody else's job, if you're a person that was fortunate enough to have this modeled for you, I would almost guarantee that this is a part of your life now. This is one of those things that's actually pretty difficult to teach, but simultaneously it's next to impossible to unlearn. Uh, my routine on Sunday mornings is usually I get to our offices between like 6 and 6.30 in the morning, and then I just spend some time in prayer, honestly praying for all of you and spend some time in, in God's word and just allowing that to speak to me. And then I usually go over this talk kind of one more time. And eventually, you know, I get to this parking lot usually around 7.45, 8 o'clock, and I try to park as way, far away from the front doors as possible so it frees up as many spaces for guests. And usually when I'm walking in, I have a bunch of stuff in my arms. And almost every single week, I, I come across a piece of garbage in the parking lot. And most of the time, I bend down, and I, I just pick it up. But every once in a while, I, I, I tell myself in that split-second moment, like, okay, I'm too busy, or, or I, I just got to get inside, or I have too much stuff in my arms. And you guys, I'm telling you, because of how this was modeled for me, I will sometimes, not exaggerating, I'll get like 20 yards past the piece of trash, And there's this internal debate going on in my mind that's like, you better go back. You're a terrible person. you got to pick up the garbage. And sure enough, I'm like, gosh dang it. And I end up turning back around and going up and picking up the piece of garbage. Which, by the way, as a complete side note, one of the most common pieces of trash that I find here in this Genesis parking lot are like those individual plastic flossers. You guys know what I'm talking about? That have like the little band. I'm like, who are these weirdos that have like the 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 self-awareness to make sure they're flossing, but yet they throw them into the parking lot? I'm like, pick those things up. If that's you, please stop. It's so nasty. I like pick them up, and you like do one of those numbers afterwards. Now, I recognize. That as I'm speaking about this value right now, I'm not necessarily making it sound like the most attractive quality or the most attractive value to have. But but wouldn't we all agree, think about this, wouldn't we all agree that that if this was something that we all universally embraced, that that our world would in fact be a better place? To to, to all of you, you students out there, whether you're college, high school, middle school, whatever, uh, wouldn't your school or your university be a better place if, if really, really practical? Let's say you're sitting at a, at a cafeteria table and, and somebody else gets up and they just leave a bunch of trash behind. There were like five people that almost immediately jumped up to pick up the trash for, for that other person. I mean, wouldn't that positivity almost be contagious? T- take it a step further. Maybe you just excel in a particular subject. I mean, there's just some subject that for whatever reason, it's always just clicked really easily for you. Maybe it's math. Like, math has always just kind of came really easily for you. You've always got really good grades, and you haven't really have even put that much effort into it. But, but there's that one kid, maybe there's more than that, but there's at least that one kid that really seems to struggle with, with that thing that comes so easy to you. What, what if rather than looking at that and saying, okay, that's the teacher's problem, that's the teacher's job, you took it upon yourself to take some of your time and, and help that student along, To to those of you that work in an office, chances are then you probably have a break room in that office. And I bet in that break room there's a microwave. And every once in a while you open that microwave, it looks like a bomb went off in it. And and rather than going, ugh, and getting ticked off, and rather than than walking around the office like a detective trying to figure out whose tomato soup did it, you just took it upon yourself and just cleaned out the microwave even though it wasn't your mess. To those of you that, that are in sales... Maybe you do particularly well in, in your profession. Sales, again, has just kind of always come naturally to you. Rather than just worrying about you, what if you took it upon yourself to kind of coach and mentor you know, somebody else in the company that maybe it hasn't come as naturally to them? Give them practical advice on, so that they might be more successful. To you parents... Rather than getting sucked into the mundane of screens and TV and the same old day in and day out, you treated every day during this summer break as an opportunity to create a new experience, a lasting memory for your kids. I mean, you did something simple. It doesn't even have to cost you a lot of money. I mean, you just mapped out where every park was at within a 30-mile radius, and you said, we're going to hit up every one of these parks by the end of the summer. You, you mapped out where, where all the museums are at in the state of Michigan. You said, we're just going to start chipping away at those. One new new museum a week. That, that By the end of the summer, your kids look back and they're like, dang, that was fun. I mean, that, that was one of those memorable summers of my life because you were so intentional as a parent. To, to all you married people out there, that, that rather than coming across the sink that's full of dirty dishes and going, Ugh, how come he hasn't done that yet? How come she hasn't done that yet? that you took it upon yourself to unload the dishwasher and load the dishes, even though it's not your usual job. Rather than letting your marriage become boring and mundane and just going through the motions, you chose to make it better. You started to actually pursue and, and date your spouse again, like when you first met with them and, you know, you fell madly in love with them. You actually got creative with your date nights. Uh, My wife and I, about a week and a half ago, um, uh, we had a sitter and we were like, okay, what are we going to do? And uh, I bought this canoe kind of impromptu, you know, about a month ago. And it's like the most hillbilly thing on the planet. It's a flatback canoe and there's like this five horse engine on it. And we just rip around the lake and again, just look like we should have like tall boys of Bud Heavies in our hands and not a good look, but it's a lot of fun. And so I said, hey, let's get out on this canoe. And so from like 6 o'clock till 10 o'clock, we ate dinner out there. We had conversation out there. I mean, it was just such a fun night. Honestly, a night that I will remember for years to come, unlike all those nights where we just go to dinner and we just go to the movies. Take that next step. Make it better. This is a choice, literally. In every situation from now until you die, you have an opportunity to make it better. It's your choice to continue on with the same old the laziness, the mundane, the complacency, or you can choose to make it better. And again, the reason that I think that you ought to do this, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, is because your life and the lives around you will be better as a result. It will improve your marriage. It will improve your relationship with your kids. It will improve your place of employment. It will improve your friendships. It's one of those things that Jesus advocates for that has literally exclusively positive effects on our lives. Now, there's a guy that goes by the name of Paul, if you were here in the first week, we we talked a little bit about this guy uh, named Paul. Uh, Paul wrote a little bit about this in this letter titled Galatians. Uh, Throughout Paul's time on earth, uh, particularly the latter part, of his life he would travel around all over kind of the ancient mediterranean world and he would plant and he would start all these little churches all these little communities of jesus followers and because transportation and communication obviously back then is not what it is today oftentimes he wouldn't have the opportunity to go back and visit these places and so he instead he would write these letters as kind of a form of encouragement back to these churches that he had helped start and in fact better than like 50 percent of the new testament which is kind of the second half of the bible uh contains these letters that paul wrote to these early Christian churches that he had helped start and one of these letters again is aptly titled Galatians because he wrote it to the people that were living in Galatia which would sit in present-day Turkey and here he he stresses the importance he stresses the importance of of making things better but not just really practical like picking up a piece of trash not not just cleaning out the dirty microwave but he's like ultimately and this is where we would like to take all of you eventually taking an interest in other people's lives that you would make other people better, that people would say and people would think to themselves, I am a better person for having known Melissa. I am a better person for having known Mark. I am a better person as a result of knowing you. So here's what Paul has to say in Galatians chapter six. He says, share share each other's burdens. Now, Now keep in mind when he says this, the context of this entire conversation is helping people out when they are struggling with a particular sin. Now, now some of you, again, depending on where you're at in this whole faith journey, you might not necessarily be totally comfortable using the word sin, right? Because sin feels really heavy. Sin feels kind of icky. I I doubt you ever say to your spouse or your friend, like, I can't believe that. You sinned against me, right? You you use softer language. We don't necessarily use sin, but this is what Paul's talking about. He's saying, hey, whenever you see people that are struggling with that particular thing, Maybe, again, you don't like using the word sin, but I bet if we took a poll right now, every single one of us would have a particular sin that almost immediately jumps to our minds that seems to suck us back in over and over and over again. It's kind of this Achilles heel in our lives. And Paul's saying, rather than just taking this apathetic attitude, rather than just going, "Eh, well, that's kind of them, and, and that's not really me, why don't you take it upon yourself to help those people out? Rather than taking on the attitude of it's not my problem. See, our world, and I don't need to convince you of this, loves perpetuating this idea of you do you. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anyone else. Just worry about you. Keep your head down. You do you, and the rest will fall into place, which I think we actually all know is a pile of crap because, in fact, your lives have demonstrated that to you. See, see, when you take the attitude of, of just you do you When you take on this attitude of it's not my problem, in marriage it results in divorce. Or at best, two people cohabitating with one another rather than thriving in relationship. Rather than going farther as a couple than you could have ever gone as individuals. In In the marketplace, you ostracize yourself from your coworkers and you soon find yourself to be very expendable. When we do this in friendships, it's only a matter of time before your friends start to look at each other and go, adios amigo. This seems a bit one-sided. Go ahead, you do you. You do you eventually gets you just that. It gets you you and nothing else. Alone, isolated. And even the people that are most reserved in this room, I don't think we ultimately want this for our lives. We all have a longing for companionship. We all have have a longing for friendship, for relationship. We are wired, literally wired, to be in community with others. And so Paul's saying, get involved in each other's lives. Fight against isolation. Take a real interest in the lives of other people. When you see somebody else struggling, obviously don't celebrate that. Don't, 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 Don't be apathetic and say, it's not my problem. Seek to help that person out. Make it better. Share each other's burdens. And then he continues and he says, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Now again, to be really clear, I think you ought to do this because again, it's gonna make your life better. It's gonna make the lives around you better. But every once in a while, we come across lines like this in scripture that are specifically reserved for the Christians. So, so, so if you're sitting here today and you call yourself a Jesus follower, you would identify as a Christian, Paul's talking to you. If you do not wear the label of Christian, if you are just kind of exploring this whole thing, you're off the hook. You don't have to listen to a word Paul's saying right here. But what Paul is communicating to you Jesus followers, that even if this does not sound appealing to you, tough luck. Paul is saying you cannot call yourself a Jesus follower and thus choose not to do this. This isn't one of those things that, okay, why don't you just go ahead and do it if you feel like it. This is one of those things is to reject this is to actually reject Jesus. And for those of you that maybe think that that sounds a little bit harsh, let us be quick to remember what God did on a cross for every single one of us. God looked down at this world that we had screwed up. We are the ones that that messed up the relationship with our creator. And I think so often we, we lose sight of this. God could have just as easily walked away. He could have said, you know what, I'm done with you guys. You messed this up, I gave you very clear instructions and you chose not to listen. He could have just as easily hung an out of order sign on earth. But instead of walking away, rather than complaining about the overflowing trash in the break room, Rather than complaining about the attitudes of the coworkers, rather than sitting back and saying, "Oh well, I guess I tried. God chose to do the complete opposite. He got involved. He, he sent his one and his only son to make it better, to die on a cross for you, specifically you and for me, so that we would have an opportunity to be made right with him. So what should you keep in mind? With, with all of that in mind, Paul continues. He says, if you think that you're too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. And then he says something that's like, dude, I don't even know you. Like, how dare you say that to me? You are not that important. If you think that you're somehow above picking up that piece of trash, if you somehow think that, that, that you have more clout than that coworker, if you somehow think that you are beyond that task, stop fooling yourself. You ain't all that great. Paul's telling you, you aren't that important. But by, by a show of hands, who has ever ate, and I really want us to participate in this. I know sometimes we get to church and we're like, we're not participating, jack Squad. I'm just plowing through this thing. But okay, really want participation. Raise your hands here uh, if you have ever ate at a Chick-fil-A before. Raise your hands if you've ever ate a at Chick-fil-A. Now keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. Put your hands down if you have ever had a terrible experience at a Chick-fil-A. Look at that. Not one hand goes down. Go ahead and put those hands down now. Now, for those of you that haven't been to a -A, Chick-fil-A, you need to make that a priority immediately, if not sooner. Uh, Don't do it today because they're actually closed on Sundays. You will waste a lot of drive time for a whole lot of nothing. But uh, for those of you that that have been to a Chick-fil-A before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, you can hardly believe it's a fast food restaurant. I mean, there's so much to admire about going into a Chick-fil-A. It's kind of like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe the level of excellence that goes on here. One of the things that that I really appreciate about a Chick-fil-A is if you go in there when it's really, really busy, like at lunchtime when it's just like, oh, my gosh, this is going to take an hour, it's so efficient. And one of the things that I picked up on is the owners, the people that typically sit in a back office and just kind of count their money are on the front lines working right alongside the hourly employees it's not like they're just working a register. They're back there, you know, flipping the stuff in the deep fryer. They're delivering, you know, the French fries and the nuggets to the customers. I mean, they're right there working alongside these hourly employees. Every single thing at a Chick-fil-A screams, make it better. In fact, Chick-fil-A, when they think about their owners, they demand this. I was researching this. If you own a Chick-fil-A, you can't own another Chick-fil-A. If you own a Chick-fil-A, you can't let that be your side hustle. It has to be your one and your only job. It's all about making it better and they know that that value will not be upheld if the owner of the restaurant is just doing it on the side and wouldn't you know it, it makes the entire experience better. Not only for you, the customer, but for the people that actually work there as well. Uh, I know a couple of people that worked at Chick-fil-A's in, in, in high school, and it's kind of crazy how positively they speak of their experience working at a fast food restaurant. I mean, I know other people that have worked at places like Mickey D's, and they don't have a lot of positive things to say. And they're like, kind of like, all right, I'm ready to get on to the next job. My, my older brother, about a year and a half ago, went to a Chick-fil-A for the first time, and he called me after leaving the Chick-fil-A, and he said, hey, have you ever been to a Chick-fil-A before? And I answered the phone like, "Uh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Of course I've been to a Chick-fil-A. Yeah, I've I've been to a Chick-fil-A. And and he went on, not exaggerating, for literally like the next five to ten minutes bragging about his experience at a fast food restaurant. You you guys, I, I don't know about you, but I've never had one of my buddies hit me up and be like, dude, I just went to this BK. It was killer you got to go get this Whopper, man. I mean, the people, they just treat you well. I, mean, I, just, I just went to this Taco Bell, and, man, I'm telling you, you got to go there. Let, let me tell you about it. That's never happened before. Because, again, there's something different about those experiences when they're constantly focused on making it better. Now, going back here to, to this passage where, where Paul's talking to us, if you think that this sounds rude, if you're, and I get that. If you're kind of sitting here thinking that this almost sounds offensive, that somebody would say to you, well, you're not that important. You ain't all that great. Think about this, and, and I want you to keep in mind, I, I've said this before, and, and I know that as the words are coming out of my mouth, it just sounds so brutal. It sounds so harsh, but I think deep down, every single one of you know that this is true, and I think that this is really what Paul is, is trying to beat into our brains. This thing that we know is true, but it's really difficult to admit. We're not that great, and guess what? About 50 years after you die, nobody's talking about you anymore. Maybe you're something really special. Give yourself then maybe a hundred years. A hundred years after you die, you are going to be completely forgotten. Nobody's going to remember you. You're going to become a distant memory, an afterthought. It will be done. But here's the good news. We, we have an opportunity to live for the glory of the name that is above all names, The the, the name that has withstood the test of time like no other name in the history of the world, and that is not even close to an exaggeration. We have an opportunity to live for Jesus, the the, the same Jesus that not only advocated and, and told us to live this way, but then he actually lived it out when he was here on earth, and then he punctuated it when he died on a cross for me and for you. Paul continues. He says, pay careful attention to your own work for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Now remember, The whole context of this conversation, this dialogue, is in regards to helping other people. And so it's tempting to look at these two verses and isolate them and think that, okay, Paul's just kind of flipped the script. Now we are supposed to worry about ourselves. Not the case. He is instead addressing what can be so tempting for every single person in this room. And that's playing the comparison card. Since he's not doing it, since she's not doing it, then I'm not doing it. And Paul, in fact, knows what you all know, that for as long as you live, There will always be more people that are going to be living for themselves as opposed to living for others. That our world will always and constantly be pulling us towards complacency, towards apathy, rather than improvement, rather than making it better. But but he reminds us, and granted, this is so much easier said than done. Remind yourself that you ought not to worry about how other people are living you just worry about how you're living. And if you make this your priority, and it's not something that you force onto other people, and it's not something that you expect of other people, because most people won't and don't live this way, I think that you will find what I've found in my life, that making it better is contagious. You stop settling for going through the motions in your marriage, and you start taking very tangible steps to make it better, it's only a matter of time until your spouse gets on board. You, you get out of your mundane, do the bare minimum at work routine, and, and watch how slowly but surely your, your coworkers begin to follow suit. And, and watch, in fact, the new opportunities that are presented to you. You start looking for ways to make your school better. Watch the new friendships that begin to emerge in your life. watch how things like negativity become increasingly intolerable in your life and in the lives around you. But more importantly and most importantly, I think this is also contagious to our souls. It's one of these things that has such a dramatic ripple effect into our attitudes, into our outlook in life. see, see we, we, we as human beings so often, we want our attitude. We, we we want our mental state to change, and then we kind of naively tell ourselves that in that moment, well, then I will change my behavior, then I will change my actions. But that's not how it works. Start changing your actions, and watch how your attitude begins to follow suit. And remember, this is a two-edged sword. The, the, the same way that that spirit of improvement, this idea of making it better, is contagious, so is passivity, so, so is complacency, so is apathy. You want to suck the life out of your marriage? Be passive. Be apathetic. I guarantee it'll start rubbing off on your spouse. You want to create a work environment that literally universally people dread? Be passive. Be complacent. People will follow suit. In every situation from now until you die, you have an opportunity to make it better. But obviously this is your choice. And no doubt about it, it's going to feel oftentimes like you're swimming upstream. but but, but I am as sure about this as anything I will ever say from this stage. You will not regret living this way. The positive effects are so tangible. They're so obvious. They're so glaring. Yes, it's going to feel contrived. It will feel forced at first, but slowly and surely your spirit will change in your life. And the lives around you will be better as a result. And so my challenge today is is really simple as we wrap this thing up. Make it better at least once a day, every day. Like I said, in every situation from now until you die, you have an opportunity to make it better. So, so, so simple. Just make it better at least once a day, every day. Let that be your daily challenge. I'm gonna make it better at least once a day, every day. For some days, it'll be as simple as, again, like I said, just picking up a piece of trash, cleaning out that microwave, some of you, though, I started talking about the whole marriage thing and dating your spouse, and your wife shot you that look like, yeah, we haven't done that in a minute. It's time to start pursuing your spouse again. Bring that spark back. It's so easy to get stuck into that rut. You have to be intentional about it. You guys, all you married people, in particular, you have to date your spouse. Get out there at least every other week and get on a date with just you two. Allow that conversation, allow that relationship to breathe. For some of you, I started talking about the parenting thing. It's like, man, that's convicting because it's so easy to chuck the Kindle, to chuck the iPad in front of them and just allow them to zone out. Make this summer memorable because you're committed to making it better. You guys, I don't know what it looks like specifically for you, but here's what I'm positive of. If you are listening, God wants to tell you something this morning. There is in some area of our lives that we have a very clear, we have a very obvious way that we can make it better. Make it better at least once a day, every day. In every situation from now until you die, you have an opportunity to make it better. Let's capitalize on those chances.